0: Good morning. Good morning. Welcome this morning. Uh, Can we give our worship band one more clap here? (laughs) You know, I've said this a couple services now, and it really hit me in the first service. We really don't need anybody sitting up here talking, you know, sharing like this. If we listen to the words, those lyrics, and we apply what what God is saying through that stuff— it's pretty amazing what can happen in our lives, right? I mean, music has an incredible impact on our lives, doesn't it? I mean, even those of us that couldn't carry a tune, I'd I like to sit in the front row because when I'm singing, if you're in front of me, God bless you for being there, I'll tell you. I mean, <laughs> who, what a terrible noise that is, you know? Um, but music does have an impact in our lives, a real strong impact. And with that, I'd like to put somebody on the spot, There's somebody here with us, a a good friend, Brendan James is here with us right now. Brendan, would you stand for one second? Just, just, we need to recognize this guy's face. Thank you so much, Brendan. Welcome Brendan here. Brendan is a, is an artist, a musical artist who's, (laughs) he's been doing it a long time, but he's becoming an overnight success. You know, has everybody ever had that happen in their lives where, you know, after 40 or 50 years, you become an overnight success? Brendan has been working on this for a long time and he's out there. This is a guy who talk about lyrics stuff comes out of this guy's soul and you ought to check his, check his music out. Remember his face. You're going to say, I saw him in my church one day. (laughs) Brendan, thanks for being here this morning. I I sure appreciate you, brother. Um, Pastor Aaron was nice enough to give me the opportunity today to share with you a project that I've been working over the past few years. Um, In early 2014, <clears throat> a, uh, I, I was led to look at a bunch of notes that I... am a big believer in journaling. I, when a thought hits me, I have to write it down. I think mainly because my mind is like a sieve. I won't remember if I do to put it down. So I've got all these notes all over the place. And fortunately for computers and things like that, I've been able to organize them a little bit. And I went through and took a look at some notes in the past. And what I thought were going to be a bunch of random or disconnected thoughts all of a sudden started to organize themselves into something... And I'm sitting there at one point looking at this hastily prepared outline, and this crazy thought comes into my mind. You might be just looking at a book here. Now, I, folks, for me to write a book, what, what a joke. I mean, holy cow. I if you would have told me five years ago that I was going to write a book, I would have laughed in your face. I was brought up in a time, and maybe you were, where the basics of grammar and, and sentence structure and things like that I don't know if it was never taught to me or if I just missed it. All. Did I play hooky those years of school? I don't know. You know, my, my kids—they're very good. They can tell me what a past participle is. I wouldn't know it from a chihuahua. And it's like, you know, I, I'm writing a book. Are you kidding me? That's that's ridiculous. Um, have you have you ever? <laughs> yeah, it's just gosh, that's crazy. I, I mean, to think about it. high school in high school, I can remember with very horrific thoughts, all those reports that, that I would have to write. I can remember my mom and I sitting in my room and, and the tears, not her, me, I was just t- crying <laughs> over how hard this was. And, and the, t- the trial and, and the patience and perseverance for her and me both to try to coax something coherent out of this brain to put down on paper to turn in and try to get a decent grade. Oh gosh, that's, that's not a good memory. And then... Um, Worse than that, um, my college career began with a special invitation. Have anybody ever gotten a special invitation? I got this special invitation to to attend a, what I found out to be a mandatory early class before schools to begin. I joined 300 or so other technically-minded people like myself, and we were involved in what, what I later found out was a remedial, and boy do I mean remedial, reading and writing class. It was it pretty insulting. I mean, really... <laughs> But that's how bad I needed it. Bad <laughs> insult to injury. Uh, I was told by the vice president of a company that gave me my very first engineering job as a co-op student at my school. He said, had it not been for that cover letter that accompanied my resume, I'd have never got my foot in the door. I, and basically he was telling me, you would have never got this job, John. Never. If you didn't have that cover letter. Problem is, I didn't write the cover letter my mother did. I mean, it was, I mean, you know, I was so, thank you, Mom. Uh, she's going to listen to this. Thank you, Mom, for doing that. Uh, Have you ever wondered why God uses unusable people to do things that we would have never dreamt possible? Um, I believe it's because he wants us to know just how capable he is in our life, how fully capable he is, and how fully dependent we are on him to really have impact in this world. Thank God he's that way. Look, when I was putting all this stuff together, I decided to call my book Victor, Breaking Free from a Vic- Victim-Based Society. And that's, you know, that's a real fancy, heady-looking title. you know. Uh, but I'm working on a pre- it's the premise of the book. The major premise is that we're in a time where we're living in great tension between two concepts, a concept I call Victor living and a concept that, that I like to call victim thinking. And right now in our society, it looks like we're, we're really leaning hard toward the victim thinking side of the equation in the world. I don't think it's too hard to argue the fact that we're really facing an epidemic of victim thinking in this world. I mean, just watch the news every night. Listen to how the word victim is used in newscasts. God forbid, listen to our political leaders right now. Listen to what they're saying about us and about other people and about themselves and about how they treat each other and about this, this nastiness that's going on out there. I believe it's based in this epidemic of victim thinking that we're trying to put on ourselves and sell to everybody else out in this world. That's the major premise that I'm, I'm looking at from this book. And what, what's amazing is it appears to me that our society has shifted to a point where we're beginning to see being a victim as something admirable, something with perks and advantages, something that the mainstream wants to have without having to go through the pain and suffering that real victimization happens, puts in our life. What I feel has changed in our society is that we, we've taken on a perspective of what being a victim is. It's actually The perspective has actually shifted to where we celebrate a notion that we're all victims in one way or another. We celebrate that notion. Basically, we've allowed the possibility of victimization to become a real and active part of our identity, of who we are. And it's my, ident- my, my thinking, my opinion, that when we mess with identity with something as powerful as victimhood, we really open the door to some pretty dangerous situations. Look, I'm in no way saying that When bad stuff happens to us, and oh, by the way, folks, I I hate to be negative, but live long enough and bad stuff's going to happen. That's just what this world is. We're going to have good times, and unfortunately, we're going to have bad times. I pray that your good times outweigh your bad. I really do. But we're going to have bad times. And when we have bad times, when, when, when those challenging times come into our life, if we allow our identity to be shaped and controlled by victim thinking, then real damage can happen in our lives. Real damage can happen to those around us. More and more, I'm seeing how we're trading our personal responsibilities with the belief that we've been victimized so badly that no matter what I do, you must excuse me for my actions because my life was so bad that even if I hurt you, there has to be some excusing of that hurt because of the victimization in my life. See, more and more, and in doing that, what happens is we begin to hurt people more around us. When people take on the identity of a victim... Oftentimes, they do and say things that leave a wake of victims in their path. you see that? Take a look at the vast majority of those that we house in our prison system today. Most of the folks that are in prison today have, faced, have been victimized by stuff that folks, you and I, God, thank God, we never will have to face. Some of these people have been abused in ways that's so horrific. Some have been abandoned in ways that would just make you cringe. Others have had circumstances that if, they, if you heard their stories, you wouldn't believe it. They're so bad. And what society is trying to get us is moving toward in this victim-thinking, victim-based society. It's trying to get us to a place where we say, well, basically we have to excuse that because they've had such a hard life. Now, I'm not minimizing the hard life. I feel for anyone who's had a hard life. We all have had a hard life. What I'm saying at is that, and I'm not condoning, I'm not excusing the actions of anyone, including my own actions, if I hurt you. Me hurting you because I've been hurt, that's not the way we're supposed to treat each other. I'm simply highlighting the potential for victimization when victims let victim identity take over their identity. The statement, hurt people, hurt people is the foundation to what I believe is behind so much of the epidemic of victim thinking that really is ripping at the very fabric of our culture. Now, here's the sad news. For those of us in the church, I see just as much victim thinking happening inside the church as I do outside the church. That's a big problem, folks. I believe this fact has reduced our ability to have impact in the world the way we were designed and wired to have impact in the world. We now take on causes and we approach causes in ways that are so offensive to other people that turn people off because we're coming at it from a victim-thinking attitude and that has to stop. Look, we're supposed to be different. We're supposed to be, supposed to be standing boldly opposite to what is happening in the world. We're supposed to be the beacon on the hill. It's attracting people, searching for freedom, right? But instead, through our victim thinking, we bind people up just as much as we do outside the church as inside the church, and that doesn't make us any different. And that's robbing us of our power, guys. I believe it's time for those of us inside the church particularly, it's time for us to break free from our victim-based society. It's time for us to be set free from victim thinking. How do we do that? I believe it's through understanding who we are. The worship band led us in this, this beautiful song. It's very simple. The good, good father. You know, identity is unmistakable in the words of that song. God's identity is shaped by the word good. Our identity is shaped by the word loved. I believe that God wants us to understand how his goodness makes it possible for us to gain an identity that's based on the fact that we're loved. That, that's a pretty powerful identity. His goodness is what has made it possible for us to grasp an eternal view of who we are that can help us fight off victim thinking when the events of this world try to victimize us. When it comes to identity, the Bible is very clear. 1 John 3 1 says this See how much our Father loves us, for he calls us his children, and that's what we are. God loves us so much that we are his children. We're nothing more than that, and we're nothing less than that. You know, what we mistakenly do in our world is we allow our roles to define who we are. And when our roles are working well, our identity is flying high. But when we have a a stumble in our roles, when something happens that our roles shift or change, or we're not living up to a standard that we think our roles should live up to, if we have that attached to identity, it's going to crush who we are. We've got to get roles out of our identity and let our true identity shine. We are children of God. That's our identity. If we live from that place, then if we're the top of the world on our roles or the bottom of, our, of the world when we're play, having our roles played out in our lives, we're still the same. We're still a children, a child of God's. In your notes, first, uh, first thing for you if you're taking notes today. What's our identity? We are God's child. Now and forevermore, we are sons and daughters of a father that loves us, a father that believes in us, a father that will never leave us, and a father that has purpose and a destiny for us. Now, I use that word father four times, and and God's just leading me to speak on this for a second right now. I use that word father four times, and for some of us here right now, that's a very offensive word. That's a word that reminds us of some things in our past that we're troubled with right now. Don't let the word get in the way of the truth that's there. Our fathers may have not been very good at loving us or believing in us. Our fathers may have left us. And our fathers may have not instilled in us a purpose and an identity. And that's such a shame. I hope that I've done that for my children. But where I failed, my God takes over and makes up for my short callings. And so it is in your life as well. Don't let that word distract you. This God loves us and has great plans for us. I believe that my identity as God's child is filled with perks and dividends that I get to spend the rest of my life and, frankly, all eternity discovering and applying in my life. The biggest perk that I see, that I get to to discover in my life is the perk the fact that my status as a victor never changes no matter what my circumstances are in this life and you notes know, the second point I want to give to you as god 's child, I am a victor. Remember our identity isn't that isn 't that of a victor, our identity is that of a child of God's. The benefit to being a child of God's is that we that our status as a victor, no matter how bad the circumstances are in our life, the status of a victor doesn't change. The problem with the word victor is that we're so quick to substitute the word victory. We have linked these two words so, so closely together that I think it's weakened what our status really means. You want to know the difference between the word victor and the word victory? It's the letter Y. I know, not too profound. <laughs> Pastor Aaron will come back next week and give us profound. So, you know, bear with me for just a second. I, I, I'm a simple guy. The word victor and the word victory, the only, ch- the only difference is this silly one little letter Y. This one letter gets us into so much trouble. The letter Y sounds like the word or the question why. And "why" is what we ask when bad things happen to us, right? I mean, can you think back to the last bad thing that happened? Probably one of the first things that you thought about is, why did this happen? Why did I do that stupid thing? Why, did this, why, would this, why would God let this happen to me, right? See, there's nothing wrong with us asking the question why. In fact, I believe sometimes we can actually learn some things about our situation that might change our situation so the next time we have victory in our lives in that same kind of situation. But folks, sometimes there is no answer to the question why. And it's when we get stuck trying to get the because of a situation that's when victim thinking can start to sink into our lives. Jesus came across this guy one day, and he was, he was blind. He had, you know, a full a grown adult, been blind since birth. And the disciples knew of this guy, they knew who he was. They'd seen him at the, at the temple gates begging, probably all their lives, the guy had been there begging. He was a blind man, had no way to support himself. So he had to stand at the gates and beg to make money. Uh, the, all the disciples come to Jesus, and in their, in their great wisdom, in their great knowledge of the Bible, and their great knowledge of who God is, they said, to God, they said to Jesus, So, Jesus, tell me this. Is this man blind because of his, because of his sins or because of the sins of his parents? Basically, they were going, he was, guy, the disciples were going to Jesus and saying, Jesus, why is this guy blind? What has he done to deserve being blinded from birth? And Jesus makes a profound statement. He actually gives him an answer, but a lot of times these answers never happen. And what Jesus said in this particular case is he, was, he has been blinded so that the glory of God could be seen right now. And Jesus healed him at that point in time. Now, that man received victory, right? That man received the why at the end of his victor status. But what if, he, what if Jesus chose to pass by? What if it wasn't God's plan to heal that man at that time? See, what I, what I want us to get across is that man's victor status didn't change one bit whether he was healed or not. It's during the times when victory seems to be so elusive in our lives that we better be viewing our status as a victor from a foundation of who we are, from a real identity, or we're going to start to, believe that something is wrong with us or something is wrong with this God, and victim thinking is going to start to rule the day. Though we may not achieve victory in everything we would like or in the ways we would like or in the timing that we need them to have, our status as as a victor never changes simply because of the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. This one fact should make the church different than everybody else in the world. Look, I I, I gotta be honest, I am so tired of seeing Christians demoralized and feeling rejected. Truth is, I'm personally so tired of being demoralized and personally rejected. I don't want to do it anymore. Being rejected by the possibility that God has let me down because my prayers for significant things, I'm not praying for you know trivial things. I'm praying for significant things, and I'm so tired of thinking that my God has let me down because my prayers don't seem to rise to the level of importance of this God who is supposed to love me for him to answer the prayers the way I need them. Can you hear the strings of victim thinking playing in that statement that I just made? We need to pay attention to that in our lives because, folks, that's how we talk sometimes. And we need to cut that. We need to find that and take control of that somehow so that victim thinking doesn't take over in our lives. God's love is for us whether we experience victory or not. That's, that's just a fact. That's something that we've got to hang on to. Take a look at Romans chapter 8 with me. Paul starts this section of, of Romans 8 with this question. He asks, can anything ever separate us from the love of God? Now, folks, this is a really important question for us to deal with because the logic I'm using in today's message is we are loved by God. It says that in 1 John 3. God's love for us is what gave us an identity. That is a child of God's. Because we have an identity, we have a, we have a benefit that we can apply to our lives in that we can, we can call ourselves and our status as victors can never change. See the chain of events like that? That chain is built on and the foundation is built on love. If anything can separate us from God's love, that chain falls apart. It's a house of cards. It's going to come down. Not only will we doubt God's love, but we won't know who we are. And we'll be out there doing things to try to figure out who we are, which is such a waste of time. And and as we're doing things to figure out who we are, we're going to be chasing victory in a way to try to prove this victor status that we feel inside that we should have. I'm speaking from experience here, folks. I'm not speaking from something i read in a book frankly i'm not speaking from the bible right this second i've chased victory for so long in my life i've chased an identity by the things that i've done for so long that folks stuff has gotten into my life darkness has gotten into my life depression has entered into my life in ways that if we ever get a chance to sit down i'll share with you some of my friends here know exactly what i'm talking about there's been places where i had been able to see God. And it's been this close to life and death. Remember, it, we just, we've got to hold on to the fact that nothing separates us from God's love. Next question that Paul brings up, really important question. And this question is, this really is, is fascinating, this question. He says, does it no longer mean, does it mean that he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or persecuted, or hungry, or destitute, or in danger, or threatened with death. That's a pretty significant list of um, victimizing events right there, my friends. Wow, that's a little scary right there. I don't know about you, but I've never had anybody put a gun to my head. I've never been threatened with death. But I sure have doubted God's love over some pretty silly stuff in my life. I said in one service, I got a hangnail one time, and I, I doubted whether God loved me or not. You know, I mean, that's how, that's how weak I am, right? I mean, come on. Folks, bad stuff is going to come our way. I hope it's not this list for you, but for some of us it will be. But God's love is for us. What's really amazing about this statement, this question, is that Paul opens the door, opens the playbook of evil itself. Paul lets us look over the shoulder of Satan and see his playbook. Satan's only got several plays. You know, when you you play for a basketball or football team, they give you a book, it's got a bunch of plays in it. That's all you got, guys. You know, if those plays don't work, you're going to lose, right? I mean, that's how it is. Satan's got a playbook. He's only got a certain number of plays that he can use. This is one of them. What Satan's going to do in our lives is he's going to try to throw as much bad stuff at us, right? Bad stuff to try to get us to doubt God's love. Folks, read Genesis what he did in the, in the beginning with Adam and Eve. He whispered into, into Eve's ear, does God really love you? Right? He's hold, withholding something from you. He must not love you. That's what he's doing to try to get us that God is not a God of love. All right? That's his playbook. And when we get there where we doubt God's love, we have to doubt our identity. And when we doubt our identity, our victor status goes out the window. And when our victor status goes out the window, we're chasing our tails just like the rest of the world is. Paul goes on to say that, no, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. Now there's a promise, right? Wow, that's a fantastic promise. And Paul goes on to say, I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us From God's love. I underlined overwhelming promise. Or overwhelming victory. In the Greek. That's one word. And that word is only used. In this passage. That word is not used. Any place else in the Bible. Anytime I see that happening in the Bible. I pay particular attention to that. I think God's trying to show us something. When he he brings out the fact. That one word. A word is only used once in the Bible. I think he's trying to tell us something. Our last, uh, last point I want us to take a look at right now in your notes. Victor living doesn't guarantee victory in this world. Now, I know some of you are say, saying, well, John, wait a minute. Hold on. I think you got a typo up there, right? Shouldn't it say Victor living does guarantee victory in this world after you just got done saying the promises that overwhelming victory is ours? No, folks, I hate to tell you, that's not a mistake. The next question is, you may be asking, is doesn't that contradict the Bible? Isn't that contradictory? In a sense, folks, it is contradictory. I hate to be blunt about it, but it is. And this is the rub for those of us that are crazy enough to believe that this Bible is the holy word of God. You see, there's promises all throughout the Bible that we're going to be challenged with whether or not they're true or not, right? I mean, how many people in here right now can say that their life has been filled with overwhelming victory? Have you had no problems in your life? None whatsoever? I mean, really? Gosh. We had a snafu with the TV this morning, okay? Overwhelming victory wasn't mine. When viewed from my perspective, when viewed from my perspective, you see. Before I go any further, before I explain any more on that, I want you. To, I want you to get this really clear. One hundred percent of the promises in the Bible. Everything I believe that the Bible says and is written is hundred percent guaranteed and hundred percent true. I have to believe that, folks. That's the only thing I can hang on to. Maybe that's a crutch, but that's what I got to hang on to. That it's hundred percent guaranteed. Problem is, and here's the caveat. It's 100% guaranteed when viewed from heaven looking down, not from my perspective looking up. Okay, Overwhelming victory is mine from God's perspective. Sometimes I'm going to be confused by what overwhelming victory looks like because my overwhelming victory looks like loss time and time and time again. That's what we've got to hang on to, folks. Some of us right now in this room, some of us need victory so bad, it's not even funny. Some of us have ailments in our life that threaten to end our lives, that frankly, the way it looks right now, it looks like we're going to lose. Some of us are on the brink of financial disaster. Some of us are one paycheck or maybe one day away from being on the streets. Some of us have a hurtful relationship situation in our lives that's so painful at this moment that you found it hard to wake up this morning, that you were hoping that the sun would never come up. Some of us are hanging on by a thread, folks, and we're crying out to God for victory in our lives. And the Bible is filled with a promise that says, overwhelming victory is ours. My question for you is this, though if God doesn't answer your prayers in the way that you need them answered right now, does this change his love for you? That's what Paul says. He says he's convinced that nothing could separate him from God's love. That's what we need. We need to be more and more convinced, and I'm hoping that's what our talk today does, is help us to get on a path of convinced, being convinced that even, if, even with this bad stuff that's happening right now in our lives, God's love is for me. Look, when we come into situations where, where our prayers aren't getting answered, where, where, where our victor status is being challenged by the absolute lack of victory in our lives, let me tell you, we are in great company. Great company. I want you to think about Jesus' life for a second. All right? When you look at Jesus' life from the earth's perspective, does his life sound like an overwhelmingly victorious life? Look, as he was hanging, suffering, to, suffocating to death on the cross, does that sound like victory to you? It doesn't to me. That sounds terrible. At the, at the risk of sounding blasphemous and maybe lightning coming down and striking me here, <laughs> Jesus' life was a total failure when viewed from man's perspective. Let, let, me just, let me just crassly paint a picture of Jesus' life for you. Here's a guy who didn't hit his stride until he was 30 years old. For gosh sakes, folks, he lived with his mother until he was 30 years old. You know, I love my daughter Jessalyn. Honey, I don't want you living when you're 30. I, you know. When he finally discovers his destiny and he starts to do something about it, the only people who would come around him were the worst of the worst. The lowest of the low. Prostitutes. When you watch the entourage that Jesus had, it was filled with prostitutes. What would we think if somebody walked in right now with 15 prostitutes behind them? We would be shocked by that. Right? I mean, that's, oh my gosh. Tax collectors. One of his disciples was a tax collector. They were the hated of society at the time. He attracted tax... Well, uh, his time. (laughs) Hope no one's a tax collector here. Sorry about that. (laughs) Uneducated people, fishermen, the elite, the, the religious establishment, the rich, the powerful, they would have nothing to do with this guy. Nothing. To top it all off, a measly three years into his ministry, all hell breaks loose and Jesus is executed. That's complete and utter failure from my vantage point. In fact, from the earth looking up, God's love didn't do a whole lot for Jesus either, did it? I mean, if I told you that God's love for you was going to be that you get to die suffocating on a cross, that's God's love for you. Are you ready to sign up for that? I'm not. I'm going to be honest with you. That hangnail still bothers me. I'm not going to hang on that cross. If we make the mistake of thinking thinking that God's love has to look like victory on our terms, we're putting ourselves in a place where victim thinking is going to take over our lives. Let's look at Jesus' life from a different vantage point. From God's eyes, from God's perspective, from God's plan, Jesus is and was 100% overwhelmingly victorious. Praise God. In fact, God's love didn't let Jesus down. God's love saved the entire world through Jesus. Right? The totally amazing thing is that as God's child, we're just as much of a victor when victory seems to be just as much out of our reach as it was for Jesus. Look, I want victory on my terms as much as anybody else in this room. (laughs) There's no doubt about it. I'm going to go after it any way I can, right? But what I found that is, if I don't, if I in any way connect my idea of what victory is to my status as a victor, I'm going to feel like God's love has let me down in one way or another. Whenever victory isn't mine, when I do this, victim thinking is, threatens to take hold and take control of my life, and Satan rejoices because it's at that moment that I am the weakest and I have no power. See, my dilemma lies in this question. If nothing can separate me from the love my God has for me, the love that the Bible promises for me, then why am I so confounded? Why am I so frustrated? Why am I so downcast when bad things happen to me? Why does, why does this make me question God? You want to know the simple answer? It's because I'm human. I'm human. It's as simple as that. Of course I'm going to question these things. Look, I'm going to doubt myself when bad things happen. I'm going to doubt God when bad things happen that's only natural. What I'm hoping is that today's message reminds you and reminds me that there's a power and identity that we get to grab onto that makes us different than the rest of the world. We're not victors because we're, we have victory in our lives. We're victors because we're children of the most high. Simple as that. So when bad things come our way, what's a follower supposed to do? Are we supposed to put the little quick Christian grin on? The Christian happy face? Are we supposed to take it as this stuff is being poured out on us and as our family and friends are being attacked and being brutalized and victimized by the evil in this world? I hope that image is as repulsive to you as it is to me. That's not what we're supposed to do, folks. What I believe we're supposed to do when bad things happen is to call on the power of God in ever-increasing and faith-filled ways. Not our faith, his faith. The faith that he has and he pours into us. I believe we're supposed to go after every promise in the Bible with everything that we're worth. Why wouldn't we? Why wouldn't we, as loved children of God, go after every promise in the Bible with everything that we're worth? That's why the way we were wired, people. But, and here's a big but, if what we want or what we desperately need doesn't materialize... We stand the best chance of remaining firm in our faith if we've disconnected our expectations of victory from our status as a victor. When Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, I believe he went through a process that we go through as well. I believe that Jesus was faced with an opportunity to choose victim thinking. In fact, I think victim thinking actually had some influence on Jesus' life. Why? Because he was human, people. He was just as human as he was God, all right? So just like a human being, just like you and I, Jesus, I think, came face-to-face with the same stuff we do. Take a look at, with me at uh, this last passage we're going to go over, and I'm going to close with this. This is Mark 14, 36. This is a very short passage, but it, it, it's going to take me a few minutes to, to go through this. I see a progression. I see a kind of a four-step Not necessarily a process, but I see Jesus in four different places in this. And I see this happening in our lives as the bad stuff starts to sneak into our lives. All right? Jesus starts off with these two words, Abba, Father. Not too long ago, Pastor Aaron, he he made this amazing statement. I, I don't know that I ever knew this and ever thought about this. But Jesus was condemned to die for one reason, one reason only. He dared to call God Father. He was condemned to death for daring to humanize an untouchable and unknowable being we call God. That's what sentenced him to death. Now, Jesus takes that thought of God being father and he blows it completely out of the water by adding this name Abba before it. Abba is a, is a I think it's a, a Hebrew word that means daddy or papa. It's an intimate close word. It's a word that means, Daddy, you're so close to me. Daddy, you love me. Daddy, you think the world of me. Jesus says this next statement, oh, just amazing. He says, everything is possible for you. Folks, for you and me, that's a statement of faith. We have to have faith that everything is possible for us. We hope everything is possible for God. We want to believe the Bible stories that tell us that everything is possible with God. For Jesus, this was a statement of fact. He stood at the right hand of God when God spoke everything into existence, when he used words to create everything. He stood at the right hand of God when God picked up a bunch of dirt, formed it, breathed life into it, And made mankind. Jesus, it was a fact to Jesus that everything is possible for God. But look what happens to Jesus when when the weight of the world comes in. He says, Take this cup from me. He's, He's basically begging his father. He's saying, Daddy, please, please don't make me do this. I can't do this, Daddy. This is too much for me, it's too much for me to bear. And I think as Jesus was real with God, I think as he poured out his heart, as he, as he didn't put on a smiley face, as he yelled, maybe he yelled and screamed at God. I don't know what he did. As he did what he needed to do to pour himself out, it said in the Bible that he sweated as though blood on the ground. I believe the tension was so great in Jesus' life that the capillaries in his forehead burst and blood came out of his pores like, blood, like, like sweat. As he poured himself out to God, Look what happens. I believe God ministered to the heart of Jesus. I believe that God ministered to the man of Jesus. And he took that why and he set that why aside. And he says this, these amazing words. He says, yet, yet not what I will, but what you will. He says, God, not my will, but let your will be done. I believe at that moment the status of Jesus as a victor rose up in Jesus in a way that allowed him to do what he needed to do just like you and me. Jesus had a choice at that point. He could have given in to victim thinking. He could have let that shape his identity at that point. He could have fell into a puddle of hopelessness. And frankly, folks, I wouldn't blame him for one second for doing so. I would have done the same. But at that moment, he also had a choice to remember who he was to remember the fact that God's love was for him and would never leave him and then he had the chance to step fully into the destiny that God had for him thank God he chose the latter our very eternity is assured because this victor chose his identity over the victory he wanted victory he wanted at that moment I have to tell you more and more I feel freedom in the st- my status as a victor now more now than I ever have. Folks, it's not because my life is better now than it was a few years ago. The same problems that three or five or ten years ago used to spiral me down into victim thinking into some of the darkest places you could ever see, those same problems are in my life now. Frankly, some of them are worse now than they were then. No, I don't feel freedom because my problems are getting better. I feel freedom because I'm starting to view my problems from a different perspective. There's a confidence that comes with knowing who we are. As God's children, we are assured that his love will never fail us. Even if my life ends up in ways that I wouldn't wish on my worst enemy. The fact that we're victors because of God's great love, that's something that I just can't take for granted anymore, and I hope you can't either. Of course we're going to have bad days. We're going to have bad days. Folks, I, I have bad days now that are, the badness is so bad that I doubt whether there's even a God or not. Have you ever been there? It's a tough place to be. But more and more, I'm starting to live a not-my-will-but-your's kind of life. I hope you'll choose to do the same. Any other way is simply a waste of time. I've tried it so many other ways, it doesn't work, folks. And trying it other ways, it robs the church of the power we need to be different in this world. So how about you? Are you ready to live the life of a victor that God has called you to live? Would you bow your heads with me for a few minutes? <clears throat> I believe that, that we're on a journey where if we have anything else in our path as as who we are, if we are relying on the things of this world to give us comfort and peace and a position based on identity, folks, we are going to experience failure in our lives. I don't care how good you are. Roles will never do what identity is supposed to do in our lives. It's a simple identity, being God's child. I wish I could tell you how to be that way, but I think God wants us to discover as his children what that looks like. All I know is that now that I'm trying to live as God's child, the peace and freedom that so many people are looking for is starting to sink into my life. (laughs) I wish there was another way to get there, but the only way I see possible is what the Bible says. The only way I see to get to be a child of God's is through letting Jesus pave the way to us to this untouchable God. This God we call Father. So I I feel like right now there's, there's many of us in this room that aren't sure. We're not sure whether we're children of God's. We're not sure of our identity. We're so busy chasing other things, we really don't know who we are. If that's you, in just a minute, I'm going to have you raise your hand. But I want you to know right now, God wants you to know that you are his child. And the step that it's going to take for you to to get there is to say, I want to be a part of this process of who Jesus is in this world. So if you need to know that you're God's child, it's time to say yes to Jesus. If that's you, will you raise your hand right now so I know who's praying? I'm not going to ask you to do anything else. Just raise your hand and let me know. Thank you, folks. Thank you put your hands down. Thank you so much. And to yourself, would you you all just pray this simple prayer? Lord, I want my identity to be assured. I want to know that I'm your child. Thank you that Jesus has paved the way for me to know that I can be in the family of a king. Thank you, Jesus, for saving us. Forgive me when I replace my identity with something else. Help me get to get back to the simplicity of I am your child. And thank you, God, for making me a victor because of your great love. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Folks, when you head out there, I've, I've got some books out there for you. If, uh, if, if you can't, if money is an issue, please take what you need. Um, this book, I, I don't know if God's going to have me selling books or not. This book, God wanted me to write so that I would have locked into me who I am. So I will go in this next part of my life knowing fully who I am. If you would like to see part of that journey, this might be a a good read for you. Uh, If you'd like to have some discussion about it, I would love to talk about this stuff. This is so, so, so amazing to happen. God has big things in store for you. Big stuff. Stuff that you never dreamt would ever happen. Would you stand with me and let's, let's just receive a blessing from the Lord your heads. Lord, thank you so much. Thank you that you think of enough of us to call us children. Why you would call me a child of God's, I have no idea. Lord, it's beyond my thinking. The things that these people don't know I've done, the things that you know I've done, should it eliminate me from being a part of your kingdom building process but Lord your love says no come in son I want you more and Lord that's what I pray over these people's lives right now is a coming in to a father who is drawing them who is saying I love you and I want you and I want to be close to you and I want to I want to be a part of your life every step of the way the good and the bad the ugly and the beautiful I want to be part of it and Lord thank you that that's how you treat us sons and daughters of the King. May we go with that power today knowing that you love us today. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys.